Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. So we're in this series called The Way of Jesus, and as Pastor Jairus kicked off last week, he talked about how the, the, the early followers of Jesus, that's how they identify themselves. They identify themselves as followers of the way. Now, that wasn't only because they kind of embraced, well, not kind of, they fully embraced the theological perspective or theological ideas that Jesus had. They embraced that for sure. But the reason why they were called followers of the way is because of the way is because they also embraced the lifestyle of Jesus, the way of Jesus. So they, in essence, were called followers of the way. Now, in our culture, we, the way we define ourselves as followers of Jesus or Christians, we use the term Christian. I'm a Christian. But what I have discovered is that that term can be very broad. It can mean a lot of different things, right? Like somebody who's a, who self-identifies as a Christian can, say, attend church on a regular basis, even put money in the offering, and one day a week they live the Christian life. They follow the way of Jesus, but then the rest of the days of the week, they kind of do their own thing, you know? And so in this series, what we're doing is we're making a challenge. We're making an appeal that, that we let go, that we, that we do away with, that just not settle for just carrying the label Christian, but that we let go and abandon our own self-centered pursuits and take on the way of Jesus, now, that's a, a, what seeming, seems like a huge challenge. And I'm not asking you to go tomorrow and quit your job, okay? That's not the point. The point of following the way of Jesus is this, that I have made him the Lord of my life. That when I, gave my, when I bowed my knee and I said, I repent of my sin and he forgave you my sin, I surrendered my life to him. Not just my Sunday morning schedule, I surrendered every aspect of my life. I surrendered my, my wallet. That's why we unashamedly talk about giving and being generous because he's our Lord and he calls us to be generous. And so we challenge you and we call you to do that. It's why we sometimes challenge you in, some, in your way of living and how you live because he's our Lord. And this is really the call that, that we're trying to uh, speak about in this series called the, the, the Way of Jesus, right? Now, you can't talk about the way of Jesus without very, very quickly talking about forgiveness. I mean, it's what started it. That's why you and I are here this morning, right? Because somewhere in our history, somewhere in our timeline, we had the need to be forgiven. We had the need of God's grace in our life. We came to him with nothing. We came to him broken, we came to him bruised. We came to him with, with nothing to offer and only everything to receive. And we receive forgiveness from him. And this is critical for us. When we talk about forgiveness, you have to understand we're talking about the fact that Jesus paid a debt that we owed. He settled it for us, right? And then when we receive this beautiful gift of forgiveness, here's what happened. Peace, joy, freedom rises up inside of us. And so this is a challenge for us, right? Is to talk about, as we talk about forgiveness, is to understand forgiveness from God's perspective, but then also be, be people who forgive. And this is often very difficult. I preached a series uh, years ago, 
and we call the series The F Word. You know, because nobody wants to talk about forgiveness. I mean, that's a, you could talk about anything, Rich. Just don't talk about forgiveness, because I am not going to, right? So, here's how Jesus talks about forgiveness in Luke uh, chapter 6, verse 37. It says, forgive, and you will be forgiving. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Like, if you want to experience freedom in your life, if you want to experience that peace and that joy that God has for each and every one of us, you and I are called to let go of things that we're holding on to. That's difficult. And that's why we don't really want to talk about this very much. Because it is difficult to let go of it. And yet this is exactly what Jesus says. Forgive and you will be forgiven. In fact, the Apostle Paul kind of expounds a little bit on this in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 31, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, and brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. So Paul makes a challenge here. He says to Christians, he's speaking to Christians, to followers of the way, he says, get rid of it. Like, throw it out. Get rid of what? Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Like, we need to cast this stuff out. We need to get rid of this stuff. And then he goes on, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another. So he's talking about our relationships. So when he talks about getting rid of all this other stuff, he's talking about how we relate to other people. If we're angry towards other people, if we're, if we're bitter towards other people, we need to get rid of that stuff. Instead, we have to replace it with this, kindness and compassionate to one another. And then he says this, forgiving each other. And then here's a condition that he puts, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Like there's a qualitative measure to this forgiveness. Like we are to forgive others, not just simply forgiven, but we're to forgive others just as you and I have been forgiven. This is incredibly powerful. We forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And one of the things I've, over the, over the course of my life, I've tried to live is to constantly be reminded of the grace that was extended to me. When that little 18-year-old kid was riding his bicycle behind Memorial Assembly of God in Duncanville, Texas, smoking weed and doing his own thing and being crazy wild, that Jesus met me. And I had nothing to put on the table. I just had my own life to say, here I am. And, uh, and he forgave me. And he continues to forgive me throughout life. I have received his grace and if we could remember that, if that could be part of the way we live, is to constantly be reminded of what we have been forgiven of, how much we have been forgiven, the grace that has been given. To, if we can live that way, then it becomes more natural to forgive others. It's easier to do it. It's, not, it's never really easy, but it's easier to do it when we understand the grace that's been extended to us. There's a pastor who once said, what you inhale is what you will exhale. What you inhale is what you will exhale. Like if you're intentional to inhale God's grace and his love and his peace and his joy, then what you will exhale will be his grace, his love, his peace, and his joy. But if we are breathing in anger and rage and bitterness and negativity and all that other stuff, that's what comes out. What you inhale is what you will exhale. So we have to be intentional about the way of Jesus and especially the way of forgiveness, right? We have to make sure that we're breathing in God's grace. 
That's what's step one. When we start talking about forgiveness is we have to understand that grace has been extended to us. Are you hearing me? We can get very foggy, especially in the, in the dynamic of human relationships that we don't, we don't pause for a second and say, God, what have you done for me? Yes, yes, God, you've been, ju- you've been gentle, you've been loving, you've been forgiving, you've been very gracious. Like I think some of you here might be really struggling with anger. And people around you might be wondering, man, I just, I'm going to walk on eggshells because I don't even know what's going Like I might say the wrong thing and they're just going to explode. Can I just challenge you to start your day out by just breathing in, breathing in the oxygen of God's grace. Like stop at the very beginning of your day and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for setting me free. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Thank you, Jesus, for the grace undeserved. Undeserved. I didn't deserve it, but you poured it into my life. You are the one who has set me free. Thank you, Jesus. I promise you it'll become a lot easier for us to extend it to others. So the Bible points to Jesus sort of as the kind of definition of how we're to forgive, right? He says, forgive just as you have been forgiven. But I have to be honest, this is pretty, pretty hard if you think about it. Okay, like Jesus loved and died for, gave his life for, not the people who loved him. He loved and gave his life for the person who despised him. In fact, he's hanging on a cross. He's looking out into this audience of people. Some of them there are the very ones who nailed him to a cross. And he says to them, Father, forgive them. Says to God, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Like he extends amazing amount of forgiveness towards them. And so we think about this. I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. Like we sometimes hold grudges against people who just look at us wrong. Like, yeah, that person stared at me funny. I'm never going to talk to them again, you know. You know, when we talk about forgiveness, uh, I think oftentimes because it's such a challenging thing, for us, and we really don't want to talk about it because it's so intertwined with our relationships and who we are. Like we, like we walk around every day with issues related to human relationships that we don't really fully understand or comprehend. How do we deal with this? How do we deal? How do I forgive? I mean, I just don't know how to forgive. And I, I think there's several levels. I want to kind of talk a little bit about some levels of forgiveness. You have, for example... Level one forgiveness is a, is a willingness to not even the score. A willingness to not even the score. Like, like you make a decision. Like your, your first step of forgiveness, the first level of forgiveness, you make a decision that I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to take revenge. That you're going to hold uphold the, the character of Christ and you're not going to take revenge against that person who hurt you. That's level one forgiveness. Level two, kind of a little notch higher. It's a willingness to let go of bitterness and hatred. A willingness to let go of bitterness and hatred. This is a lot harder, of course, because it's somewhat easy to say, well, I'm not going to retaliate, especially if the person's like 6'8 and 290 pounds. I may not retaliate, right? (laughs) But sometimes we can carry that bitterness and hatred around, and it just becomes this heavy burden to carry And so Paul challenges us to let go of that stuff, let go of bitterness and hatred. And I realize it's a journey. It's not something that happens overnight. 
It's not like you're so super spiritual that somebody injures you, in, hurts you today and, and tomorrow you get up and like, I don't even remember it. I don't even know what happened, you know? Like there's, this is a journey. It's a process that we go through in which the Holy Spirit works inside of us, challenges us, moves us, woos us to, to learn to let go of bitterness and hatred. It's difficult though, right? This is why Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Here's a challenge for us. I think the reason why it's hard for us to let it go is because, again, in human relationships, we, like, we may agree that we need to let go of this stuff, but we, we are so, sometimes so offended or we're the offender, and, and we see this stuff, we see bitterness and hatred and anger, we see this stuff as, as feelings, like, I want to forgive, and I want to let go of it, but I feel angry. I feel bitter towards that person. Every time I look at them, something just inside of me just turns on fire. And it becomes a feeling on the inside, and we say to ourselves, I will, I will let it all go as, as soon as those feelings go away. And I get it. I mean, there's people I know that, my goodness, 30 years ago, they told me a story of how they were hurt by somebody. And it's like every time I see them, I, I hear the same story again. And I hear it over and over again. Now 30 years have passed, and what I've recognized is that this bitterness, this anger that they have carried all these years, it, the person they're talking about is no longer, no, not even alive anymore. But it's like a cancer that's eating away at them. And this is why Paul challenges us to let go of that stuff. Let go of it. Listen, the deal is forgiveness in Scripture is not a feeling. It's an action that you take. It's a decision you make. And you say, I forgive. You may not feel it all, but you take this action of obedience to Christ first, of forgiveness. And it's been my experience and maybe your experience as well, that when you step out in obedience first, the feelings kind of follow after that. And you begin to experience what it looks like to be truly set free. Um... Another level of forgiveness that I, I just want to talk about, I want to just say up front that it's not always humanly possible to achieve. Of course, God, the God that we serve is the God of the impossible, so it's not impossible, but it's not always humanly possible. And that is a willingness to be reconciled with a person who hurt me. And this is very difficult. It's very, very difficult. Like, sometimes it's not possible because the offender doesn't want to be reconciled. Like they have just decided you're wrong, I'm right, and I'm not, we're not gonna, we're not, I'm never gonna confess that I was wrong. Sometimes it's not possible because it's the person who offended, it's just not a safe person. Like that person has, there's been trauma associated with that relationship with that person, and, and you, you as a person, you just don't feel safe around, you just don't, there's no evidence of real life transformation in them, so it's difficult to even be around, you can't reconcile with that person. Sometimes, you can't reconcile that person because they're not even alive anymore. See, when reconciliation, when reconciliation takes place, it requires forgiveness from the offended, but it also requires repentance from the offender. <clears throat> I mean, this is how God has forgiven us, isn't it? Like, he extended forgiveness towards us, but before we could appropriate that forgiveness in our lives, we repented of our sin. We said, I'm sorry, Lord. I know. I know I should have never done that. I know I should have never said that. 
I know I should have never acted in that way. And when I do that, when I repent, when I humble myself, I receive the forgiveness of God. Now, here's what you don't see about God. God doesn't say, okay, Rich, I forgive you, but man, you, you screwed it up so much, I'm not going to have a relationship with you at all. Like, I forgive you, but I'm not going to talk to you anymore. That's not what God does. God always works towards reconciliation. He reconciled us back to himself. <clears throat> Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul kind of talks about this. He says, in Colossians 1, verse 19, he says, for God, and then kind of just says a few words, but for God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God and were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Essentially what Paul is telling us here is that we were offensive to God. You and I, and I know that sometimes you think about yourself, you look at yourself, wait a minute, I wasn't that bad. But you have to understand, we were an offense to God. In our genes, in our blood was this propensity towards sin, towards rebellion, towards turning our back against God. That was inside of us. And God took the first step to reconcile us back to himself. And he goes on, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, this is the level three forgiveness I'm talking about. As a result, you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Are you really holy and blameless? Like, did you make that happen? Or is it because God took the action and he said, you're holy and blameless? <clears throat> You see, God separates you from your sin and he does not count it against you anymore. And the relationship is reconciled. And so you and I, we need to work towards reconciliation. Now what's interesting is the, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter four, this is where this passage comes from. He's, he's talking about getting rid of bitter, all bitterness, anger, rage, and all that kind of stuff. But he says it in the context of human relationships. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, he's going to talk about uh, husband and wife relationships and children and families. He's going to talk about that, the, even the more core kind of relationships. And here's what I've, disco I've discovered. I think Paul understood this back then, and I understand it now, that this is the place where forgiveness and reconciliation is needed the most. Right? Like, I can live my life, I can live my life when somebody on the, you know, in another state has hurt me and maybe their reconciliation has, I can still live my life and not even think about them very much. But when it's in my very home, man, it is so difficult. And I think that Paul is, uh, is trying to get to something here. He's talking about reconciliation in the context of human relationships. So, there's going to be anger, there's going to be bitterness, there's going to be resented, resentment. But then Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, in your, in your anger, do not sin. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And this is Paul's appeal to us to make things right, to reconcile, to mend those relationships, right? There's a lot of damage that happens when we don't reconcile with each other. But what's interesting, though, is... <clears throat> Like, I think that husbands and wife, and my wife is sitting here, and I'm not gonna, we're not going to talk about any, any scenario where she's really been bad, and I've had to, you know, kind of help her. So, um. <laughs> But <clears throat> what's interesting, though, is that, that 
oftentimes we can agree, we can come to terms on this. We, like, we, we agree that reconciliation is needed. Like, well, we, even intellectually, we, we need to be reconciled because this is just not talking to each other is not going good. And our kids are watching, you know? So we have like this mental assent, that reconciliation. And yet even then, sometimes reconciliation is not fully accomplished. Like we know it needs to happen, but we just not, are not getting it. I think, here's what I think. Oftentimes, this is the issue. The issue is that we are waiting for the other person to initiate. Like we are saying in our head, yes, I messed up, but she messed up more, so she needs to say I'm sorry first. And she's over here saying, man, he really messed up, and he messed up 85,000 times before this, and he needs to say I'm sorry first. Right? And so we're holding that intention, and we're waiting for the other person, to, and, 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 and reconciliation doesn't occur. And so when this is happening, the question is, whose job is it to initiate? And my theory, and I believe the scriptures uphold this, is that, man, it's your job. I think both men and women can initiate reconciliation. That's no problem. But I think it's our job as men, right? <clears throat> I want to talk to us for a second. You see, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I think what he's telling us here is you initiate. Christ initiated, you initiate. You be the one who starts this. You be the one who makes things right. And so husbands, if you want to be the spiritual leader in your home, if you really, you know, you want to lead your family well, you want to love your wife the way Jesus loved the church, then you initiate. You be the one who reaches out and grabs her hand when you think in your mind she is totally wrong. <laughs> you be the one who, who writes a note when you haven't talked all day long because of some argument you had. You write a note and say, I love you and I care for you. You be the one to initiate. See, there's no weakness in this. Passive aggressive retaliation is for weak men. Only children sulk around the house all day long because they had an argument with their wives. <clears throat> Humbly initiating reconciliation and extending grace and forgiveness, this is for strong, spirit-filled men. And so I want to challenge men to initiate reconciliation. Always have that on your radar. <clears throat> okay, I kind of did a little detour. Let's get back to this level three forgiveness, um, a willingness to be reconciled to the person who hurt me. I put this, I underline this, and I, because sometimes this is all we've got. Like the, the hurt is so bad, the emotions behind the hurt is so bad that all I can really bring to the table is a willingness, a willingness to be reconciled, right? <clears throat> All I can do. Like I said earlier, too, it's, it's, not always not, it's not always possible. Sometimes we want to be reconciled, but the other person who offended doesn't want to be reconciled. Sometimes they're not a safe person. Sometimes they're not even alive anymore. And so there's two. It takes two. So Henry Cloud, I love what Henry Cloud says here. He says, there are two principles that should be very clear. Number one, we always need to forgive. In other words, he says, Henry Cloud said, there is not a pass. There's not a pass on forgiveness. 
You might have been hurt, you might have been wounded, but we always need to forgive. The scriptures call us to forgive. So we always need to forgive. But number two, we don't always achieve reconciliation, he says. Forgiveness is something that we do in our hearts. Like I forgive that person. We release someone from a debt that they owe us. Like I'm releasing them, right? We no longer condemn them, they are clean. Only one party is needed for forgiveness and it's me. So, as, if, as the offended, you're willing, you willingly forgive. But reconciliation can only happen when the offender repents. Okay? See, this idea of forgiveness in the Greek is this image of it being cast away. In fact, the Bible tells us that God has cast our sins away as far as the east is from the west. That's how, how far God is cast away. But it's, it's this idea of taking our sin and basically throwing it away. Taking the offense and throwing it out. Like I don't cognitively think about it a whole lot anymore because I've released it, I've thrown it away, right? Now I have my own share of stories that I could tell about needing to forgive and needing to, to, to reconcile. I remember when we were overseas, there was a, a situation, I'd been working on a project for several years and we were, I mean, we had gotten to a place where it was, it was a done deal, it was all the, and then the senior veteran missionary came in and he basically derailed everything and didn't talk to me about it. I felt very hurt by it. <clears throat> and in my hurt, I didn't deal with it right, so I started talking about him. I know none of you ever do that. I know I'm the only one that's ever done that. But I started talking about him. And I was talking to other colleagues and telling them about how bad this was and how terrible it was. And then I had this moment where I felt really convicted by the Holy Spirit that I should not be gossiping and talking about him, but I need to go and have a conversation with him. And so I went to him and I, <clears throat> my wife and I went, we went there and Walked in and, you know, I just wanted to say to him, hey, man, I am so sorry. I've been, you know, th this thing that happened, I'm really, I was really hurt by it, but I am so sorry that I have been talking about you and, you know, saying these things. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of expected him to be like, oh, man, Rich, yeah, me too, bro. I'm so sorry. So sorry that you did that, but, you know, nothing, nothing. He was like, oh, okay, thank you. All he said was thank you <laughs> for asking for forgiveness. And, um, and then he just escorted me out and we left. Now, here's what happens. Over the years, you know, I, I released it. I let it go. I don't even think about it very much, but obviously I'm thinking about it today as I'm talking about forgiveness. Um, uh, years have come and gone, and every once in a while it comes into my mind, and I think about it, but, you know, I just, it's like a second thought, and it's gone. I don't even think about it anymore. I've released it. I have forgiven, but has reconciliation been fully achieved? No, because there was no admission. There was no recognition or repentance that happened, Right? So here's how we say it. Reconciliation requires both forgiveness from the offended and repentance from the offender. Now, the person who offended may not repent to the degree that you want them to, but the scriptures challenge us to work towards reconciliation. There's a lot of stories in the Bible about this. Uh, there's a story of Jacob and Esau. You know the story of Jacob and Esau. <clears throat> Jacob... Uh, Jacob is the, uh, is, there's, they're twins, right? But Jacob kind of came second after Esau. And so Esau was the firstborn. Esau gets the inheritance. Jacob cheats him out of this inheritance and then flees for his life. Ends up in a distant land. He marries, you know, gets married multiple times and worked with his father-in-law Laban. And, 
And then there comes this moment where he has to meet his brother Esau because now he's left Laban and he's on his way back to where their, their hometown and his brother Esau is there. So he's going to meet his brother Esau. They come close and he finds out that Esau has 400 men with him. And so he's terrified. He knows that he knows that that, that he made a mistake, he knows that he sinned, he knows and he thinks that his brother Esau is going to take his life. And so he divides his family up into three groups and, and then it says that he goes on ahead to meet his brother Esau, thinking that maybe today's my last day. Here's a, the account of that story, Genesis, Genesis 33. He says, then Jacob went on ahead. As he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him, excuse me. He bowed to the ground seven times before him. This is a, an example of humbling himself, of repenting. So here we see that Jacob walks in with a posture of repentance. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. And some of you in this room need to posture yourself in an attitude of repentance. Yes, before God, but maybe even before your wife or your husband. Okay. He goes on, then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. I, I, I have this mental picture. I was thinking about this. Can you imagine how Jacob was feeling when he's kneeling down to the ground, he's bowing down, and here comes Esau running towards him? Jacob's probably like terrified. He is gonna, he's gonna kill me, right? But this is what happens. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. This is forgiveness, right? And they both wept. What a beautiful image of what God has done with you and I, right? This is what reconciliation looks like. It requires repentance and it requires forgiveness. And when it happens, it's a beautiful thing. That day, in the back of that crowd, there's a little boy. His name was Joseph. And he witnessed his father humble himself and repent. He witnessed um, his uncle Esau. He didn't know the story behind his dad and his uncle, but he witnessed his uncle Esau forgive. He would need that one day because when he grew, grows up, his own brothers sell him into slavery. And you know the story of Joseph. He gets sold into slavery. Then he, he ends up as an indentured servitude and then accused, falsely accused, ends up in prison. But God's with him and God raises him up and he's, he's raised up and he becomes, you know, this, uh, this leader, second in command in Egypt. And Egypt is the only place in that whole region that has food and now there's a famine everywhere. And his own brothers come to him and they, they kneel down. They don't recognize him. They don't know that it's their brother Joseph. They think that Joseph is dead and gone. And all their lives, they've lived with this guilt and this remorse of what they did to their own brother. And at that moment, Joseph had a choice to make. Joseph could have easily said, yes, there they are. Those are the ones that sold me into slavery. Off with their heads, he could have said. But he didn't. Instead, he forgave them. It tells us that in this story that he wept. I've often wondered why he wept. There's something powerful, something beautiful when reconciliation happens. It's like the open wound gets healed. The loop gets closed. And I suspect that there's some of you in this room right now that you 
You want that wound to be healed. You want that loop to be closed. It might be between you and a wife or a husband. It might be between you and a parent or a child. There's some of you in this room that maybe you're not even speaking to your children because of hurt and offense and there's been no repentance and no forgiveness. And God wants to bring that back together. That's the very nature of who God is. He's a God of reconciliation.